So, today we're going to be talking about the Trinity, which is not an easy subject to cover, and there's tons of questions that we could have about it. Um, so, as I consider as I consider kind of the approach to take for this, um, there's a lot of times when people try to talk about the Trinity that what they're gonna what they tend to do is they tend to start with analogies, right? Like the Trinity is like, and then they'll try to give some. You've you've all heard them, no doubt. Um, I want to start off by cautioning you against that, right? Like, be careful in using analogies. One, because there's no analogy that can that can rightly describe what the Trinity is, right? N- note that nowhere in Scripture do we find Scripture itself describing what what we label as the Trinity, right? Like nowhere in Scripture do we find that. We find we find Scripture saying like 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 when we look at like particular attributes of God, like we'll get analogies there. But when it's when when Scripture speaks of what we call the Trinity, we don't find anywhere in Scripture where it says the Trinity is like right, um, because there's nothing like it. Right, so like, so we're kind of coming out of a study the last couple of weeks on the character of God and attributes of God, and and the Trinity itself, like, like this, this, there's no way to there's no way to describe it. Let me call it this property or this state of being, knowing that that's completely fails in in describing what the Trinity is. But but if we were going to talk about God and and attributes of God, and we were to leave out this particular portion, then you would in no way have a, a complete understanding of or or, or a, a a well-rounded understanding of of who God is, because God is um, three persons, and, and and so this is the way. Instead of giving an analogy, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of probe through Scripture and see how Scripture speaks about God or how God in Scripture speaks about Himself. And there are going to be three truths that come out of this that Scripture speaks towards God. And what we're going to do is we're going to say these things we believe to be true, right? And and these things are like, there's going to be a lot of people that when they approach the Trinity, they're going to approach the Trinity and they're going to say that the Trinity is, it contradicts, like it's a contradiction. We don't hold that it's a contradiction. We do hold that it's a paradox, right? Like it's something that we can't explain. And this is why also I say like, be careful when you try to use analogies because there is nothing like God, especially in this particular area. Like there is no comparison that is a that is a that is a comparison that does justice to what it is. So we'll we'll state three truths. We're going to go ahead and start with start with those. Um, scripture states these truths um, clearly, and we're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning. We're probably going to be pressed for time to get through all the scripture. So scripture speaks of God and and what we call the Trinity, and it and it gives three truths throughout scripture that that stand in in a sort of in a sort of paradox a thing that we can't explain that it's not contradictory it's just there's no explanation and and this i think highlights the uniqueness 
of God and the character, uh, the character of God. So God is three persons. This is truth. We see throughout Scripture three separate persons being referred to as God. We see God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Um, these are distinct persons, right? They're not the same person. They're not the same manifestations of, of, or they're not different manifestations of the same person, right? They're not like the same person making himself known in different ways throughout time. They're three distinct people, right? Like at the baptism of Christ is probably the, the one of the clearest places in Scripture where you see this to be true. You see Christ baptized. You see the Spirit descending. You see the Father speaking, right? Not changing modes along the way, right? Like He's not switching from being the Father to being the Son to being the Spirit. Simultaneously, we see three persons in that one event, all God, right? All God. It's it's a, it's a, it's and this is why I, this is why I say like like it would be it would be okay to call this a paradox, right? A paradox is something that's that, that's unexplainable to us, but it, there's no there's no truth that contradicts another truth, so it's not a contradiction. And this, so, so this is why, this is why, this is why I say, like, when we talk about it, what we, like, I'm, I'm laying out these three points, but when we talk about these points, we should let, we should let Scripture be the, be the thing that tells us these truths, right? And that's why, so I want to lay them out ahead of time, then we're going to kind of press through a lot of Scripture where we see these things kind of coming out. So God is three persons. We're going to see that Scripture is clear about this. That each person is fully God. So that's another, that's another of those truths. So God is three persons. Each person is fully God, right? Like, there's, there's none, there's, there's none lacking in the essence of Christ. There's none lacking in the essence of the Spirit. There's none lacking in the essence of, of the Father. They are all fully God. And Scripture makes clear that there is one God. One third of God is Holy Spirit. One third of yes. God is Jesus. One third of God is the Father. But that's not true. If that's they're all one hundred. Yes, God. yes, and that's why I said. That's why I say. So, like, you'll you'll hear like the three leaf clover. Another one that you'll hear is like the the egg. You've got the you've got the shell. You've got the yolk. You've got the right. Like, but none of those none of those parts are the whole. Right? So like the three leaf clover, no, cl- no leaf is the whole clover. So that analogy fails because each person is completely and fully God, right? So we see where, we see where, and we say, well, well, that's, and, and again, like what happens is we say, well, we see how, you see how that would seem like a contradiction. How could three be one, right? Like it, it seems contradictory. That's just because we have nothing to compare it to, right? Because there is none like God, especially in this way, 
right? Especially in this way. But Scripture consistently speaks in, in, in this manner about Him. That God is three persons, each is fully God, um, and that there is one God. So we're gonna see this and we're gonna, so, the way that you can look at Scripture is speaking to this truth and, and to many truths that we understand more fully today than, say, Abraham understood um, in his day is that God has, throughout history, been revealing Himself more and more and more. Through each redemptive act, God has made more clear who He is to His people, right? This this idea is what we call progressive revelation. God has been revealing Himself more and more to us as time has progressed, right? Culminating, and I want to like put this out there just a caution, culminating at the cross, right? Like that is the final, clearly we have the resurrection coming, but as far as redemptive history for us, like we expect no more full revelation of who God is, right? Like we're not looking for a new book to be written. Like we've already kind of covered that through the past. So God has made Himself as known to us, as pleased Him in history as He's going to do. And He's made that known to us in Scripture. So we're going to look, we're going to kind of start in Genesis. Um, turn with me to Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're going to see that from the very beginning we see hints. Now, here's what I here's like this is a, this is going to be kind of a cumulative argument for the for the plurality of persons and that revelation being progressed in time. So we're going to start looking at how how God Himself made these things. Like He was dropping these tidbits all along the all along the way. Um, so Genesis chapter one. If you'll flip to Verse 26, we see uh, kind of the first hint at this. So this is God, um, and we're going to look at a couple of different things. So He says something, and we're going to ask, well, what could He, what could he have meant by this? Uh, so then God said, let us make man in our image. So let us make man in our image. So who's doing the making here? God's doing the making in whose image here? His image, so who then is the us that he speaks of? Because this is, this is like, this is not like a mistaken translation, like this is, this is a plurality here. He's speaking us. Who could that be? Could it be the angels? Let's ask that question. Could it be the angels? Why not? Because we're not made in the image of angels. Exactly. Right? The angels didn't make you. Right? Right? So like when God's speaking here, let us make man in our image. This is God speaking to himself. And he's not bipolar. <laughs> well, I want wait, that's actually a good that's actually a good that's actually good to bring out because sometimes Well no, follow me here, follow me here. Like that bipolar track because some some will use some will use like like that like bipolar or like multiple personality disorders as an analogy towards the trinity like towards the trinity right and that fails why because that's a that's one person s- switching right 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, but, but I bring that out because that's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening here. And, and there's a, I don't want to get too far ahead. I don't want to get too far ahead. But there's another really big reason, like, that when we consider that the complete character of God, God's independence from his creation there's a big thing that god that god has in himself that that clearly separates him from the need from creation and that's he doesn't need you to love he doesn't need you to show his love right he doesn't need you to show his glory like he that was happening amongst the godhead for eternity past right for eternity past so he did not need something to love because he had himself, right? He had the tri- the Trinity showed love, the love of the Father to the Son, to the Spirit, and across the ways we go, right? Like for eternity. So he need not create something so that he had an object of affection, right? That was present. That was present in the Godhead eternally. So we see this from the opening chapter of the book. We see him dropping these kind of hints. Let us make man in our image. Let's flip now to Genesis chapter three, and we're going to kind of start rolling through a little bit as fast as I can roll through um, this and 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 kind of explain as we as we go. So Genesis chapter three. Verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, one of us, knowing good and evil. Right? So who's God speaking of here when He's speaking one of us? Father, Son, Spirit. Now we know that now, right? But see, you can see how how pre-completion like of this progressive revelation to us how this you would look at this and this would be confusing right and if you were to, if you were to go to a Jew today and ask these questions they would still not have a good answer for you as to why it's written like this right like the Jews do not have an explanation that makes sense for why this type of this type of language would be used here we now, knowing Christ as being fully God, knowing the Spirit as being fully God, and here's what we're going to actually see, is we're going to see that, that we see the Spirit spoken of as a, as, as, as a separate person, even in the Old Testament, right? Like we see this as time progresses out, we see this revelation building, building, building. Yes, 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 yeah. So like we get this that like that God has been showing Himself more and more to us, and Scripture is so. So what what do we know at this point? Like if we're just following through the text here, that God can speak of Himself as us, right? Now we're we're bringing we're bringing New Testament ideas back in when we start kind of injecting that this is, this is God speaking to Christ in the Spirit, right? We're bringing, we're kind of bringing those back. But if we were to just stop here, starting where we've been and run to this point, then what we would know is that God can speak of Himself in this, in this plural, in this plural sense, right? Like He can speak as us. Um, so Genesis chapter 11, let's flip over there. 
So Genesis chapter 11. Oh, sorry. Genesis chapter 11, verse 7. So here's God speaking again. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. This is another place where God speaking to himself, speaking in this plural sense. So come, let us go down. Who's the us here? Right? Is he speaking about angels here? Who's he speaking about here? Right. If you did not have, if you did not, if you did not hold to Christ being fully God, if you did not hold, what would your answer be here? You would, it would either be I don't know, or it would be angels. Why would it? Like what? What things, if, as you look at this, would cause the angel portion? Like as we look at each of these, and we look at these things, what would make it difficult to say that it was angels? So who's doing the work? Yeah. Who's doing the work here? God's doing the God's doing the work here, right? He's not sending a messenger, right? Like he's not sending a messenger. He's going and doing a work here, right? Yes. Yeah. Not hey, you go do this thing for me or go right like let let us go down, right? So this is this is God taking action here. Um, let's let's continue on. Let's look at Isaiah chapter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Isaiah. Let's flip to Isaiah chapter six, and we're going to look at verse eight. So we see the Lord speaking this us language previously going going to take some action. Here in Isaiah 6 and 8, as the Lord speaking, it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Right? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Right? Is he, is he speaking here about going... On, on the behalf of the angels? No, he's, he's not. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And, and then we see the response. Then I said, here I am, send me. So God here again in Isaiah, we see him using this, this kind of plural, plural references. So let's flip now to uh, the book of Psalms and we're going to look at Psalm uh, 45. So go to Psalm 45. Give you all a second to get there. Psalm 45, verses six and seven. We're gonna uh, we're gonna flip. So so this this place in Psalms and the next place that we look at in Psalms both are referenced <clears throat> in the New Testament. Um, 
So we're going to we're going to read what we see here in Psalms, and then we're going to flip to the New Testament um, reference to this, and we're going to see how the New Testament has kind of made these made these truths more clear. Um, so Psalm forty five, <coughs> excuse me, verses six and seven. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of up, up righteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God. Your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So I want us to pay particular attention to whose, whose throne it is and what is this reference that's made in verse 7 to the God of God, right? Like what, what, what's going on here? How, would we, how, how do we explain this? So I want us to read it again. Pay attention to this portion when we get there. Like pay attention to who's who's being spoken of here and 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 notice the injection of another reference to God when speaking about God, right? So your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprighteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, speaking to the God who's throne he's been speaking of previously your god has anointed you so what what do we make of this language right what do we make of this language because by the time we land in psalms we've already seen deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 right let's flip real quick we're gonna we're gonna do that so so pay attention that god has shown himself we've seen this plurality but we've also seen god make make clear statements that there is but one, right? So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How many gods are there? How many? There is but one God. Scripture makes this abundantly clear. If we were to go to Psalm chapter 83, let's, go, let's flip over there real quick. Psalm chapter 83. I know, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Verse 18, Psalm 83. That they may know that you alone whose name is the Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. You alone, right? You alone are the Lord over all the earth. That's Psalm 83 and 18. Let's flip over to Psalm 86. So we're going we're gonna to kind of, we're, we're kind of jumping around a little bit um, for the sake of um, being able to, to, to get the, the, what we see when we see what we're looking at in verse or in, in Psalm 45 here. So flip over to uh, Psalm 86. I'll give you all a second to get there. We're, <laughs> we're definitely hitting our, hitting our Bible flipping drills this morning. Um, Psalm 86. We're going to be looking at verse, um, verse 10. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Right? How many gods? One. One God. Is Scripture clear on this? Yes. 
Scripture is absolutely clear that there is but one God. Alright, now let's flip back to Psalm 45. And you could also find that same truth in the New Testament, James chapter 2, uh, verse 19, speaking to the to there being one and only one God. Um, so Psalm 45, verse 6, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprighteousness. Uh, uprightness, excuse me. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Right? So here we find this place where to deal with the particular text and to deal with the particular like wording of the text is very difficult lest we have, uh, lest we have further revelation, which we do. Hebrews chapter 1, if you'll flip with me there, we'll see um, where the New Testament makes reference uh, to this. So Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 8 and 9 here. And Hebrews makes clear who this is in reference to. So Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But of the Son, he says... So who is Psalm 45 there in the verses that we were looking at speaking of. Scripture would say that it's speaking of the Son. It says, But of the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprighteousness is the scepter of Your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, Your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond Your Companion. So who is that scripture speaking to? What does the New Testament reveal to us? That that scripture is speaking of Christ Himself. Right? Alright, so um, it gets even cooler than that. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. It's cool. Let's flip to Psalm 110. And we are running low on time. We may, we may end up needing to split this one up into, into two classes. Because um, we got a ton of scripture left, um, so we'll probably we'll probably do that. Let's look at this one, and then we'll um, and then we'll we'll jump back in on this on this next week as well. Um, so Psalm one ten. Let's look at verse one. The Lord says to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies." Your footstool. So the Lord says to David's Lord, right? The Lord says to David's Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Right? So if, if, if you didn't have the New Testament shining a light on this, how would you make sense of this? Right? Like what would you, what would you, what would you have to, like what kind of dance would you have to do mentally to, uh, to get around the fact that we have Lord speaking to who David would call Lord, right? Like how do you, how do you do those kind of mental gymnastics? Well, Christ in the New Testament makes this, uh, makes this, uh, makes this point as well. So if we flip to Matthew chapter 22, 
So flip with me, Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to be looking at verses 41 through 46 here. So Jesus brings this brings this point out to them. Uh, verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is He? And they said to Him, The son of David. Right? So Jesus is making the point, Who is the Christ? Right? And the Jews respond with what? He's the son of David. Right? Whose son is He? Jesus says. And they said to Him, The son of David. And then He says to them, Right? So verse 43, He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls Him Lord? Right? So lest there were any question that this were a lesser Lord. Right? Because that might be what you would say. Right? Like maybe He's like, maybe He's using this as Lord in, in like a respectful sense to someone of a... Right? Like, but Christ makes, a, Christ makes a clear point here, a clear division, that that's not what that text is speaking. Right? Because he says this in verse 43. And he said to them, How then? So if the Christ is the son of David, then how is it that David says in the Spirit, how does he call him Lord? Verse 44. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And what was the response? It was like crickets. It was crickets. <laughs> and no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. <laughs> he kind of he stumped them with that one, right? So like here's a, here, like uh, something that we should gather from that. Right? Is that the Pharisees did not say, well, let's break down that second Lord word and let's, let's, let's dig into that a little bit. Right? Like that was a lesser Lord because blah, blah, blah. Right? Like Jesus brings this point up. Had the Pharisees had a legitimate response, there would not have been crickets. Right? If there was a legitimate response to, to whose son is he then, then it would have been given. But Christ's point was so poignant. Yeah, that's why David was wrote there. The Lord in both yeah. parts is in Yes, yes. So like the his point was so strong in this, right? It landed on them in in such an embarrassing way with their inadequacy to respond that they literally didn't ask him any more questions. They're like, he just he just confused us in front of everybody. Let's just. Let's just stop now. These are the ones, that, and that's what I'm saying. Like these are the ones who, if there was a legitimate response to be given to that text, they would have been the ones to give it, right? So who then is the Lord? This being spoken of there, right? It's the Father and the Son. It's the Father and the Son, right? So the Lord said to my Lord. So the Father said to the Son, right? Right? 
Yeah, yeah, and we're gonna so so next we're gonna kind of stop there for today. Um, next week we're gonna start kind of we're gonna jump back into the Old Testament, kind of start pressing our way back through for those two particular points um, because there were some clear references in the New Testament. I kind of wanted to to divert to the New Testament. We're not done in the Old here. Um, we're gonna jump back over to the Old Testament. We're gonna see kind of how just as we progress through the Scriptures, God continues revealing. Uh, revealing this reality um, that 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 we kind of call the Trinity, right? These these three truths that God is three persons, each person is fully God, and that there is one God, um, and and that we hold these these three truths to be true, to speak truly of who God uh, God is. So we'll get we'll get to that. Uh, we'll kind of jump back into that next week. So I don't want to rush these last these last pieces because this is a this is a uh, a pretty good. Uh, we probably only made it through maybe half the text, if that um, that I wanted to cover. So we'll jump we'll jump back into this next week.